Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Season 5 of Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Wollner. This is Episode 2 of A Better Search for Barbara. It's been four decades since 15-year-old Barbara Louise Cotton vanished from the city of Williston, North Dakota. What happened to Barbara Cotton? How does a 15-year-old girl vanish? Poof, gone forever. To answer that question, we need to first ask smaller ones, and behind those answers are yet even smaller questions. Like a creek to a stream to a river, minute details can be tributaries of the truth. And so we break down the big question into pieces. And there are so many of these pieces, these questions. What was that dinner all about? Might Barbara have just run away? Was she abducted? What dangers lurked on the streets of Williston in 1981? Who would want to hurt Barbara and why? And so on and so on and so on. Our questions trickle and drip down the stream. In this episode, we're going to try to make some sense out of that dinner downtown, Barbara's last reported movements. After that, we'll ask, might Barbara have just run away? We'll examine which clues support this scenario and which clues strongly refute it as a possibility. And then she had these skinny arms, long skinny arms that hang by her side and kind of go with this walk. Barbara was last seen leaving a restaurant on Main Street in her hometown of Williston, North Dakota during the evening hours of April 11, 1981. I'm standing at the corner of Main Street and 4th in Williston, North Dakota. I want to get this right so much for her. And I feel guilty that we didn't do enough early on. And I feel terrible that this happened to her. Barbara's boyfriend offered to accompany Barbara home afterwards, but she declined. Come on, it's been 40 years. Can you tell us if, like, did Louise say that they went out to eat or? Her boyfriend watched her walk to Recreation Park, which is five blocks from her home. Barbara never arrived at her destination and has never been heard from again. I don't remember them asking any questions, and that's just the part where she was always chalked up to be a runaway. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. 
Let's look closer at that downtown dinner story then, Barbara Cotton's last known movements. Let me start, though, with just a 60-second tour of Williston in Williams County, North Dakota. When Barbara went missing, the town was home to 13,000 people. It's more than twice that today. Williston lies in the northwestern edge of the state. Geographically speaking, it lends itself well to fleeing from a jurisdiction. You can leave the state in 25 minutes driving west into Montana, and you can leave the country driving 75 minutes north into Canada. Williston, it seems, is a good place to run from the law. I'm sure many residents of Williston are tired of the city being almost synonymous with oil country and oil town, but the fact remains that Williston is a type of hub for the North Dakota oil industry. People here speak in terms of oil booms and oil crashes, which translates into a rise or fall in population, the cost of living, and crime. In more recent years, Williston has been compared to a gold mining town of the 1800s, much of the whiskey having now been replaced with methamphetamine. But still, many would say it's a nice, mostly wholesome American family town laid out on a grid of city blocks framed by streets and avenues. There is much confusion about the night Barbara vanished, and I recently sent a list of questions to the Williston Police Department, hoping for some clarity. At the time of this recording, I have not received any answers, and law enforcement in North Dakota are usually extremely tight-lipped when it comes to talking about open cases, so I'm not holding my breath. With some luck, though, we'll get something back from Williston PD and learn what they have managed to untangle from this night in 1981. The story goes that Barbara had dinner in downtown Williston with her boyfriend and another person, possibly her mother. I'll note here also that the boyfriend, whoever he was, is now deceased. At present, there are three core uncertainties about this story, at least for me. Number one, was the third person Louise Cotton, Barbara's mother? If not, who was it? Number two, where exactly did this evening meal take place? And number three, who was this boyfriend anyway? Presently, I've spoken with two of Barbara's siblings and two of Barbara's best friends. None of them ever met the guy. Let's start with the question that I feel might be the easiest to untangle. Where did they eat? Based on how things are worded online, myself and others have been under the impression that the meal took place inside the Plainsman building on the northeast corner of 4th and Main. I now believe the meal took place elsewhere. Have you ever played that game where you sit in a circle and one person whispers something to the person next to them, and then that person whispers what they heard to the person next to them, and so on and so on, and by the time it comes full circle, the original words have morphed into something much different? I believe that that is more or less what happened online in regards to the location of the restaurant. I believe that the original facts, the first whisper, stated that they ate somewhere on Main Street, and also that the boyfriend said the last place he saw Barbara was when she walked from the Plainsman Building to Recreational Park. I believe that the original facts never stated that the restaurant was at the Plainsman, which happens to be on Main, but when people have written about this online, they've made logical deductions about it. Logical, yet inaccurate. 
Speaking of mistakes, I made a mistake in episode one, as does charlieproject.org. The park is not five blocks from Barbara's home, at least it's not that simple. Recreation Park is one of those city parks that basically takes up one block, so there are four street corners around it. Barbara's home was as close as three blocks away if measured from the northwest corner, where we believe she would have exited the park. Her home is four blocks from the southwest and northeast corners, and yes, true, five blocks from the southeast corner where she would have entered the park. That was a brainful, but don't worry, we'll come back to this later when we'll be looking much, much closer at the route home and what dangers might have been lurking there in 1981. But getting back to Barbara and her Saturday evening meal in downtown Williston, if they didn't eat at the Plainsman, then where? The story that I know of wasn't at the Plainsman. It was at the Cakes and Cones restaurant, it was called. I always remember it as Cakes and Cones, never the Plainsman. This is Sandy Evanson again, Barbara's childhood friend. My mom and dad were really good friends with the people that owned the Cakes and Cones. Louise and my mom would go to Cakes and Cones. Cakes and Cones was like a family restaurant, kind of like they had the ice cream shop. And then it was also next to a bowling alley, just off of Main Street on 2nd. And so I now imagine Barbara Cotton and the boyfriend eating at Cakes and Cones. Afterwards, they perhaps walked to the Plainsman building, where they supposedly part ways. So they would only had to walk two blocks to get to the Plainsman. We'll talk more about the Plainsman building, which was a hotel at the time, in a minute when we look closer at the boyfriend. But first, that other important question, who was the third person at dinner? We learned last time that, according to Sandy and an article in the Williston Herald in 2011, the third person was Louise Cotton, Barbara's mother. Sandy got this information from her own mother, who said, Mrs. Cotton told her that they had eaten together, her, her boyfriend. She met her boyfriend, I think, for the first time. And they actually had a really good dinner together and left on good terms. This is confusing because Barbara's siblings, Kathy and Kent, do not recall ever being told by their mother that she had dinner with Barbara. See, and I, I don't remember... I don't remember that part. My mom never mentioned it. I didn't know anything about that part up until a year or two ago. I recently spoke with Diane Latticer, who now resides in Oregon. Diane was by far Barbara's best friend at the time of her disappearance. We'll be hearing a lot from Diane, but regarding Mrs. Cotton and the event that took place downtown, Diane does recall Barbara's mother telling her about it. See, I don't think she had dinner. I think she said she saw Barb having dinner with her boyfriend. I don't think she ever said she sat and had dinner with them. Why would Mrs. Cotton not tell her kids about this? Or did she tell them, and it's simply the semantics that has caused havoc for the memories of Kent and Kathy Cotton? Could it be that simple that they don't remember it because she didn't actually sit down and eat with them? Still, I'd like to think they would remember the interaction itself, if their mother told them about it. I asked Barbara's friend Diane if she felt confident about her own take on all of this. I interpreted it just that she saw them at the cafe together, and she asked Barbara if she wanted to ride home, and Barb, Barb told her that now she'd go ahead and walk home. 
What if we take Sandy's recollection and Diane's recollection and combine them somewhat? Can we arrive at some kind of reasonable version of what may have happened? Maybe it's closer to this. Louise Cotton walks into the cafe and sees her daughter eating with this guy. She sits down for a few minutes to visit. Maybe she asks Barbara if she needs a ride home, and Barbara declines. Louise heads home, and then sometime later, Barb and the boyfriend walk north, two blocks to the corner of 4th and Main, where the boyfriend later tells Louise that he watched Barbara walk to Recreation Park before losing sight of her. We should remind ourselves also that all of this is based on information Louise told others. I'm not currently aware if there were any witnesses confirming any of this. I can only assume and hope that law enforcement would have at the very least spoken to the staff at Cakes and Cones at some point. There is another thing to touch on regarding this dinner or whatever it was. As much as I hate to clutter an already fuzzy story, we have to ask, was there a fourth person? Bear with me for a moment. Information online states Barbara had dinner with her boyfriend and a friend. We have been trying to identify this third person and now, thinking it was Louise, simply chatting with them for a few minutes. But perhaps there really was a friend with them also, a third person. And when Louise sat down, she was the fourth person at the table. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm inclined to guess that there was no fourth person only because Sandy and Diane have no recollection of Louise mentioning anyone else. But if there was another person there, whose friend was it? A friend of Barbara's or a friend of this boyfriend? For now, that's something we'll just have to wonder about, I guess. Perhaps the Williston PD will shed light on this for us later. Now, let's talk about this quote-unquote boyfriend, shall we? I wrap the word boyfriend in quotes only because Diane Latticer feels very strongly that Barbara absolutely did not have a boyfriend at all. If I understand you correctly, you had never met this boyfriend. No, and she had to just have to meet him because I just saw her like three days before that and she didn't have no boyfriend that I was aware of. So I'm like, where did she meet this boyfriend? And her mom told me it was a new boyfriend. I'm like, but she didn't tell me about this boyfriend. I don't know anything about this boyfriend. And uh, because I found that to be odd. It's very odd. Sounds to me very odd. And so far, nobody I've spoken with ever seen this guy. Right. Never seen this guy, um, except her mom told me that. And I'm like, but I, she didn't have, she didn't have a boyfriend. (laughs) <laughs> at the time that I was aware of I would have known I would have thought I would have known because we told each other everything so it's like I just could not understand how she's had a boyfriend I go she didn't have a boyfriend I was yes she did she was in the cafe with this boyfriend and I never met him I don't even know his name You're possibly wondering how Diane can be so confident that Barbara would tell her if she had a new boyfriend. That's a fair question to ask, and so we need to learn a little more about Diane 
and what kind of friendship she shared with Barbara Cotton. I got Diane's name originally from Barbara's sister, Kathy. Kathy had this to say about Diane. Yeah, you need to talk to Diane. It was her best friend at the time that she disappeared. I know she hung out with her a lot at her mom's house because she did spend a lot of time with Diane and Diane's family. I mean, I Diane's mom lived across the street from me here a few years back for a while. And she used to come over and talk with me all the time. And we talk about Barb. And she told me that Barb wanted to move in with Diane and her family. And it was perfectly okay with with Mrs. Nelson. She goes, we talked to your mom and my, your mom got mad and said, absolutely not. And Diane could probably fill in the missing pieces, you know, the blank areas. Diane was first introduced to Barbara by a friend of hers named Belle. I'll note here that most people I've spoken with seem to have called Barbara simply Barb. And uh, I was friends with Belle first, and she was friends with Barb. And that's how I met Barb. And then we kind of drifted away from Belle, and it was just Barb and I. for. So we just became best friends, and we hung out all the time. She was usually spending the night at our house. I only spent the night at her house a couple of times. Most of the time they, that she was over at our house practically uh, living with us, but she didn't live with us for real, but she was over there all the time. She was um, quiet. She was a quiet girl, but uh, very, very pretty. And she was just nice. You know, she didn't, she wasn't judgy. She was just a nice person. And we got along real well. Barbara and Diane spent a lot of time walking around town, hanging out, and drinking coffee at coffee shops. We were like old souls, Barbara and I. We would go to the cafe, Thunderbird Cafe. And uh, at the time, we smoked cigarettes. So we'd smoke cigarettes and uh, drink coffee at the cafe for hours on end, just talking. And then we'd walk around town. Because, you know, we were like 13, 14 years old, too young to drive. And I asked Diane what some of Barbara's interests were. Oh, she liked to read. She liked to listen to music. Um, we went to movies a lot. We did go to scary movies a lot. Me and her liked going to scary movies. Yeah, that was our thing. We went to a lot of movies. Two days before Barbara disappeared, Diane spoke with her on the phone. And she wanted me to meet her at... Uh, can't think of this lady's name. It's just been driving me crazy. But she, they were gonna. They wanted to bring the dog to the vet in the morning. She goes, "Oh, come on over." And as fate would have it, Diane was a bit busy with errands that day. And uh, so I did not meet her. And then the next day, I talked to her a little bit. The day before she disappeared, and I go, "What are you doing today?" And she goes, "Oh, I'm just gonna stay around the house." And I go, "Well, I'll catch you tomorrow or the next day." And the next thing she knew, Louise Cotton showed up at her house looking for her daughter, Barbara. And I had not seen her. And then her mom told me she saw her at a cafe downtown. And she was with some guy that I did not know about. Because Barb didn't tell me about no guy. So she had to just meet him. Otherwise, I would have known about him. From the very beginning, Diane felt there was something just not right about Louise Cotton's story about Barbara 
having a boyfriend. I remember that clearly because I was like, I don't know anything about this guy. So I found it strange that uh, yeah. Barbara was at a cafe with a guy. So I'm like, where did she meet this boyfriend? And her mom told me it was a new boyfriend. I'm like, but she didn't tell me about this boyfriend. I don't know anything about this boyfriend. So if you met, if she met somebody, it had to have been within the next, last couple of days. And I just saw her like three days before she disappeared. And I talked to her two days before she disappeared. So I'm like, I still don't think there was a boyfriend, but people keep telling me there was, but I don't believe it. So you're, yeah, you're questioning if there even was a guy. I'm, I, I, I'm not doubting what her mom said, but I don't, it, if she was with somebody, maybe it was an acquaintance, but not a, not a boyfriend. I asked Diane if Louise Cotton's story was consistent over the years. Yeah, her mother's, her mother's version never changed. She said she saw Barb downtown in a cafe having dinner with, she said her boyfriend, but I still don't believe she had a boyfriend. And she asked Barb if she wanted to ride home. Barb said no, because it's only six blocks away, because she lived on 6th, 6th and 6th. And uh, she said no, and that's what her mom told me. And so she, her mom said she went ahead and went home, and then Barb never came home after that. That's what, that's what she told Her mom's story never did change. I pressed Diane a little, wondering if maybe Barbara might have had a boyfriend or at least met some guy, but just not told her. You know, could it? No. Could she have had a boyfriend? <laughs> I don't believe so. I honestly don't think she had a boyfriend. Because I think if she would have got a boyfriend, teenage girls, hey, guess what? I got. A, I met this guy. I got a new boyfriend. Da-da. You know, she would have told me. Because, like I said, we were together twenty four seven until, unfortunately, that week that she disappeared. It's like, you know, the guilt that I had over the years. Forty years of hearsay. What is it we should think or believe when almost none of the pieces of the puzzle are in good condition? What kind of image can we expect to assemble from them? Still, it does feel like some picture is starting to emerge. Quite possibly, Louise Cotton, at the very least, saw her daughter at Cups and Cones, met the guy she was with, and then, after Barbara declined a ride, Louise left by herself and drove home. Possibly. And then Barbara and this so-called boyfriend walked to the corner of 4th and Main, where they supposedly parted ways. Possibly. And then there is this. There seems to be some belief or speculation that the boyfriend was lodging at the Plainsman Hotel. I have no idea if this is true, but if it is true, did they go into his hotel room? Did something happen there? A sex crime, perhaps? Murder? If something did happen, I'm guessing it was spontaneous and not premeditated. Why do I guess that? Well, if this whole dinner with the boyfriend story is true... Isn't that a risky time to kill someone, at least if you want to get away with it? I mean, this guy has just been placed in Barbara's company this evening, just met her mother, and now the mother can identify him by sight. If that was a plan, it would be a pretty strange plan. It's just an odd detail I've been thinking about. It doesn't rule out anything in any way whatsoever. 
I just find it a bit strange, much like most of the story about Barbara Cotton and her apparent total absence from the face of the earth. When I visited Williston recently, I wanted to find out how long it would take me to walk from the Plainsman building to the park. I filmed the walk with my phone. It's not the greatest video ever shot, but if you want to see it, I'll tell you how at the end of this episode. I made this walk because one thing has been on my mind. Why is this guy standing near the Plainsman building watching Barbara walk all the way to Recreation Park? It sounds a little bit creepy, really, if you want to think of it that way. But I did think of one possible explanation that might make it at least a little less creepy. Maybe he was standing outside smoking a cigarette. It took me just under four minutes to walk to the park. Barbara was much shorter than I and walked with a slight limp. Let's say it would take her four and a half to five minutes. A quick Google search tells me that a typical smoker will take ten puffs on a cigarette over the roughly five minutes that a cigarette is lit. They say their goodbyes, Barbara walks away, and the guy pulls out his pack of cigarettes and lights up. At about the time our mystery man tosses the cigarette butt onto the sidewalk and grinds it out with the sole of his work boot, Barbara crosses 2nd Avenue West and enters the park, her long hair swaying back and forth, back and forth, until finally she simply disappears. Kathy Cotton was three years younger than her sister Barbara. The sisters shared a bedroom, and Kathy's first memory that something was wrong is from the morning of Sunday, April 12th. Yeah, I woke up and Barb was at home, so I got up, woke my mom up, and asked her if she knew Barb spent the night with with Diane or, you know, because usually I knew Barb was not going to be home. But hang on, didn't Sandy Evanson say that she got a call that very night at 1 a.m.? So which is it? Was Louise Cotton looking for her daughter at 1 a.m. that night or the next morning? She might have been doing both. Barbara's brother, Kent, recalls this about their mother, Louise. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she was, she was, she never went to sleep until we were all home. Yeah, she'd never, she'd just wait up for us. Sandy Evanson still believes her 1 a.m. memory is accurate. At 1, 1 o'clock in the morning, because because of the whole roller skating situation, and it would have been a Saturday. The only thing, other thing it could have been, it would have been a week later, but no, I don't believe that to be the case. Sandy also offered this speculative scenario, which personally I think sounds quite plausible. Like when they're leaving, what time are you going to be home? And she says, oh, around midnight or something, you know. 
And then when Louise, when it's around midnight, Barb's not home, Louise starts to get to wondering, tries to call some friends or whatever, nobody's seen her. I don't know if she would have tried to call the boyfriend or not, but then maybe she starts to get a little worried, but then in the same instant, she's going, oh, that's just Barb being Barb. When she was walking home, she ran into some friends and she'll show up at two or three in the morning or something. You know, that's what I could see. And then Louise drifts off to sleep and wakes up to Kathy going, Barb's still not home. It's possible. More speculation for us to add to our pile. By now, we are all very curious about this mystery boyfriend that maybe wasn't really a boyfriend, but just someone Barbara possibly met the week she went missing. I'm curious about him, too. Unfortunately, at this point, I can offer you nothing but hearsay. But it's some pretty interesting hearsay. It is believed that he was working in some capacity in the oil industry, possibly on a crew with other men moving around town to town, job site to job site. I'm wondering if it if this is even true. You know, if it's true that he rolls into town with some oil crew. She meet Maybe she meets him in a cafe and... He wants to, I don't know. And you don't, yeah, see, you, you don't know about him, though. That's the weird. I do not know about him. And if he was, she's not going to go for somebody a lot older. Yeah. You know, we, we typically at that age, we date people around our own age. You never met him, I assume? No, not that I remember. Sounds like he was a lot older than her. But I couldn't tell you how old, much older. Okay. He might have been... 19 or 20 or something, oh, okay. I'm not sure. But the most important hearsay to tell you about is that I've been told that he committed suicide, possibly while in custody for a drug-related charge in Montana. I've called a few sheriff offices in Montana, but so far I don't have any more information on this. I can't even confirm it as true right now. But I think we'll get there. And of course, if it is true that he committed suicide, we immediately wonder why. Was he feeling remorseful, guilty, afraid of going to prison for life or something, something like murdering Barbara Cotton? But we should be very cautious about drawing any hasty conclusions at this point. If this boyfriend was the magic answer to what happened to Barbara, then why is this case still open? And if the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children have not turned their back on Barbara, then why should we? Yes, this so-called boyfriend is very, very suspicious, and we should look closer at him, and we will, but his suicide does not automatically prove his guilt. Before this podcast series ends, I hope to find out the truth about this mystery man, one way or another, with or without the help of the Williston Police Department. Could Barbara Cotton have just run away? If you were hoping for a simple answer, as I was at this point, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we'll need to untangle this if we can. If you ask me today, I say absolutely not. She didn't run away, but I have the advantage of 40 years of hindsight, knowing she never returned, she never contacted her family, she's just gone. And I'm guessing that a lot of people agree with me. Barbara's sister, Kathy, does. She's certain that Barbara would have reached out to them sometime over these 40 years. Barbara was a caring and kind girl. She wouldn't let her family suffer for that long. 
no matter what we think today with all this hindsight, in order to explore this story further and to understand how the investigation played out and what people were doing, and in some cases not doing, we need to understand what people were thinking at the time. What would we have thought in 1981 about Barbara possibly being a runaway? That would have depended largely on who we spoke with and if we were given the full picture or not. At the time, an argument could be made for Barbara being a runaway because there was considerable turmoil in the Cotton household. This is Sandy Evanson again, Barbara's childhood friend. This is one thing I always remember about Barbara. Barbara is mature beyond her years. Like sometimes I almost felt she was older than me. And, and I think she was trying to grow up too fast. And her and her mom were having problems, I think, because of that. Because Barb was trying to grow up too fast. She wanted to come and go as she pleased. She thought she could take care of herself. You know, Louise wants to be the old Southern mom with the switch. And, you know, you're going to do as I tell you. And so they were butting heads. According to Kathy, the trouble started one day when her sister Barbara took her to a party. Remember, Kathy was three years younger than Barbara. And make a long story short, I came home without her. And um, you just didn't go against my mom. You didn't make her mad. Because if you did, it was not a good ending. And she asked me where Barb was. And either I told her or I would have gotten beaten. So I told her, and Barb was really mad at me after that, so she never did confide in me anymore after that. After that, there was a lot of tension between Barbara and her mother, and more than just tension. After that, it was, oh my goodness, my mom and my sister did not get along. My Oh, there was a lot of fighting between the two of them. Barbara wanted out, and her answer was her best friend, Diane, and her family. See, what she wanted to do, she wanted to live with our family, and my mom agreed to it. But her mom, we're waiting for her to make the decision, and uh, that Barb would be okay to come live with us, and then her mom, you know, was this him hon and never really gave the okay. With only this information, a person might think that Barbara had simply had enough. She wanted to get away from her mother, but her mother wouldn't set her free, wouldn't let her move out. So Barbara said, heck with this, I'm just going to leave. It's possible, I guess, but that doesn't answer why she never reached out to her family later. Unless, of course, she met some terrible fate later while out on the road, a dangerous place for a 15-year-old. That is, of course, possible, but running away doesn't make much sense when you get the full picture. Barbara was a sharp girl and did well in school. She had a plan for her future, too. She wanted to go to college and become an accountant. She also had a short-term plan. Her and Diane were going to get apartments when they turned 16. Both girls got jobs bussing tables at local restaurants. Barbara opened her own savings account. In fact, Diane was with her when she did it and witnessed this. And by all accounts, Barbara was very thrifty and frugal and put everything away for her future. 
In fact, at least in theory, for a 15-year-old girl, she was loaded because her father had died a few years earlier and the kids were all getting a portion of his social security money. Barbara's brother, Kent Cotton, who was a sophomore in high school when Barbara vanished, remembers how he used his money. Mom put in, uh, she put all the social security money into the savings accounts for us. And that's how I got my first car. She hardly ever spent any of her paycheck. It all went into, mainly it all went into her savings account. My sister, at the age of 15, had close, I want to say over 3000 close to $4,000 in her savings account. I have not had the opportunity to fact-check that Barbara actually had that much money from her father's Social Security money, but I did look up how much $3,500 in 1981 would be worth today, and the answer is $10,000. So even if the sum was just half or a quarter of what Kathy claims or remembers, Barbara had a lot of funds for a 15-year-old girl. This is the part of the story where you ask me if that money was still in the bank after Barbara vanished. And you ask because, you know, a runaway who's planning a new life elsewhere would not leave thousands of dollars behind. Well, I can tell you that the money did not disappear when Barbara did. But before you get too enthused about this being a clue, hang on a second. Nothing is as simple as it seems in this story. Barbara and her siblings didn't have access to the Social Security money themselves. Everything had to go through their mother, Louise. So, really, Barbara couldn't have got that money anyway. At least, I highly doubt that she could go to her mother and say, Hey, Mom, give me all my money. I'm going to run away. And so, here, the supporter of the runaway theory might say, See, the mother was controlling her money and everything. No wonder the girl threw up her hands and ran away. She just gave up. But no, I'm sorry to disappoint you, too. That doesn't explain it either, because Barbara didn't take the money from her own personal savings account, the money she was making from her job. In fact, she didn't take anything with her. But then I'm like, Mom, she doesn't have her clothes, she didn't have her glasses, she, didn't, she never took any of her cigarettes, she never came home to get any of these things. Another fact that diminishes the probability that she ran away is that even though her mother would not let her move out of the house, she seemed to have no problem with Barbara staying at Diane's house as a friend. It's not like Louise would drag Barbara home every time she left the house. So if she was in a really, really tough situation, for example, if Barbara got in a terrible argument with her mother in downtown Williston that night and she didn't want to go home, she always had the option of going to Diane's house. Oh, she would never run away. No, because we were planning on getting our own apartments. And the cops did nothing. And then they said, oh, we're looking for her. First, they said she's a runaway. And I kept saying to people, she's not, she wasn't a runaway. She had no reason to run. There's no way she hadn't, she could come to my house. She knew that. So she wasn't running away. I don't care what people say. I know she did not run away. Yeah. And see, Barb, that's the reason why I'm thinking, you know, Barb had a place to go. Because Mrs. Nelson told me that Barb was always welcome in her home. Right. If she felt like she was in any danger or whatever, she would have been at my house if she wasn't comfortable at her house or whatever. Because she was, we, she spent the night at my house in the summer practically all the time. And we were saving up enough money. We're 15 years old. We're going to get our own apartments. People might have the wrong impression that she 
hated her life so much she was running away? No. <laughs> she was not a runaway. One thing that I found real strange, about a month after she disappeared, I got a phone call, but there was nobody on the other end, and I could have sworn I just heard somebody breathing, and that was like a month. But maybe that was just my, you know, deep mind going, oh, maybe it was Barb, and, you know, maybe it's just my wishful thinking. Barbara Louise Cotton had options. She had a plan for a future. She had money. She was way too smart to just suddenly take off and run away without anything, without even telling her own best friend. Unless, of course, Barbara Louise Cotton was and is so smart that she has duped us all, and she's sitting out there somewhere listening to this podcast, smirking to herself after orchestrating the most amazing disappearing act ever in North Dakota history. Still to come on this season of Dakota Spotlight, a better search for Barbara. Nobody had ever sat me down throughout all of these years and asked me anything. I don't even remember the police coming to the house, to be honest with you. But what about this, what about this boyfriend? Have you succeeded to, to uh, you know his name? By the nature of being a child, you're vulnerable. But any extra factors that you throw in is going to make you more vulnerable. Could this guy come along and just grab her and take her out somewhere? Because he's done it to two people. Again, about nine months later, he was arrested for simple assault. In 1994, he was arrested for simple assault, domestic violence. And um, in 1997, he was arrested for Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications, researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, James Wallner. This season is dedicated to my daughters and to all daughters everywhere. Some music in this season, including the song you're listening to now, provided by North Dakota-born, former Wishick area resident and UND grad Isaac Turner of Kalamazoo, Michigan, and his seemingly infinite number of musical bands and projects. This band is named Wowza in Kalamazoo. We also heard a little from his bands Out and the Hollis Group. Search for Wowza, Out, and the Hollis Group on Bandcamp.com or see the links in the show notes. Thanks much, Isaac and friends. 
To learn more about Missing Kids, check out the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at missingkids.org. To contact me, shoot me an email at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. If you're loving this season, please tell your friends in real life and on social media and give me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. And why not come and join us at the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Season 5, A Better Search for Barbara. Be safe, stay warm, and see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.